Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax, you have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us, holding to pure grace. Again, relax, join in with us. Listen on, be blessed. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name is Bill, and I'm looking at my longtime friend, great buddy, Grace Guard Dog Steve. Hey, grace to you out there. Grace to everybody. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace towards me was not in vain because I labored harder than the rest, but it wasn't me. It was the grace in me laboring. I say grace to all of you. I hope you can enter that rest so that grace can make you labor and energize you more than you could ever humanly be energized. So grace to you, grace to everybody out there. Wow, that was a, that's a quote from Paul, isn't it? Yes, sir. I worked harder than all the apostles. But what? It wasn't? It wasn't me, it, but it was the grace of God in me laboring. Yeah, Paul has such humility being the guy that persecuted the church and thought he was serving God by doing it. And he really had a, I mean, talk about an epiphany. <laughs> yeah, yeah where we get that word a bright light he literally had a bright light shine in him in like wrong direction and his direction really wasn't against doing good things no it wasn't it was all about doing good things you remember when we did the Easter series yes the, the upper room discourse yes there was something in and I think it's in John 14 you know it or you have it in front of you? Yeah. Talking about in that day something will happen. You'll you'll know something. I'll, I'll start a little sooner. He says, I won't leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. After a little while the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live. You shall live also. In that day, you shall know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. In that day, you'll know that I am in you. And in the Father, and the Father in you, and the Father in Christ, and us in Christ, and we're not as orphans. Yes. We have a father. But yes. what did he say? We'll, we'll know something? In that day, you will know that I am in you. And that day, there was a, I guess the day he's talking about, not guess, we know what he's talking He was talking about the day of Pentecost that we would know something that no one ever knew. Something that was hidden throughout all the ages since the very beginning, since in the beginning when God created the earth. That, what, what, what Jesus told the disciples that they would know had, had been hidden from day number one 5,000 years till till Jesus was telling the disciples this mysterion, this secret that had been hidden and was about, it, it was also a phenomenon that hadn't happened since the beginning of history, that he was going to come down from the third heaven in spiritual form on the day of Pentecost and enter the disciples and spirit would begin giving birth to spirit and spirit would give birth to spirit from generation to generation up until Jesus gave birth in you that's what Paul said 
you do not have, you have many tutors, but not many fathers for in Christ, I fathered you through the gospel, meaning I impregnated you with Christ through the gospel. And in that day that you receive Christ in the 21st century, you will know that Christ is in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27, that he is in you. Wasn't that the mystery of mysteries? Yes. Christ in you, hidden from generations past, but now revealed to us, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Then you're just quoting Colossians 1, 26 and 27, where it says Christ in you was a mystery. So Jesus said, in that day you'll know something, and this knowing something actually empowers you, doesn't it? If, if you use the, the power that's in you, if you know to do that, if, if you're, let's say, if you're not hearing sermons that tell you to do it yourself and do it for God, and God will be mad at you if you're not doing it right, and you've got to get it right and do it a lot, or God will be disappointed in you. So just go out there and do it with all the human strength you can muster if you're hearing that message and aren't in tune to the idea that we're supposed to depend on God to do this through us, we have the list of do's and don'ts. We know what the list of do's and don'ts are. And just like in Joshua 24:15, we confess that we want to serve God. But Joshua said, no, You'll be witnesses against yourself that, humanly speaking, you can't serve God. We have to learn that lesson or we don't use that power that you were just mentioning. It's not a small thing to understand that apart from him, we can do nothing. Not a small thing at all. Us at Guardians of Grace, it's actually bookends for our our whole purpose. We, We have... Apart from him, we can do nothing. But at the other end, we have, we can do all things through him who gives us the strength, gives us the ability. Just like Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's it's how Paul starts Romans 6 after he brings up this question shall we continue in sin? And we, we look at that as, shall we just continue going going to the bars and hanging out? Or should we start doing missionary work or something valuable? Well, of course, the answer is the same answer with that a legalist would have, which Paul's answer was absolutely not. Shall we? But then he says something. He says, don't you know? Is that related to Jesus say, saying in that day you will know something? And there, there's something what you should know, know is the same thing? Yes. What, well, what did Paul say we should know in Romans 6? The same oh, thing he told the upper room discourse, that you died. Yes. Don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Yes. He, Jesus said the same thing to his disciples. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. But in that day, talking about Pentecost, you'll know something that I'm in you. And the Father's in me, and you're in the Father, and I'm in you. And this, this, it's the Holy Trinity is inside of us. And those phrases have specific meanings. One of the most, go ahead. I'm in the Father means I'm using the Father's power. And I'm in you means I'm in you. When you're in me, you're using my power and not using your own human effort. Are you so foolish after beginning in the spirit? Are you now trying to attain the goal of the Christian life in human effort? That's Galatians 3.3. It says, don't be in 
human effort, but be in the strength and power of Christ. It has a specific, specific meaning, and I don't hear that meaning being brought out to the general population of Christians, and I fear that they are running around in their own human effort, thinking that they don't measure up and trying harder and harder and harder and condemning themselves more and more and more and wondering why they're not very good at the Christian life and why they feel like they don't measure up. And those questions are answered. I mean, why we don't measure up is answered in Romans 7 where it says, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do want to do. That's in my human nature because sin dwells in me and it keeps me in bondage to sin and it's making me fall short of the Christian I want to be because it lives in my human nature. That's why I don't depend on my human nature to please the people around me and to be the model Christian that I've always wanted to be. I use the power of none other than Jesus Christ in me, the hope of glory, the hope of satisfying anybody that I come into contact with and make it a pleasurable conversation. That's what John said in First John. He, he said, I tell you about Jesus so that you will become born again and I can fellowship, you can fellowship with me. And indeed, I am fellowshipping with the Father and his Son. He says, I don't want to fellowship with you when you're fellowshipping with me. I want to fellowship with the Father and his Son. That's First John 1, 6 or so. I want to fellowship with the Father and his Son. And I'm going to write you a letter, and it's a letter to make your joy complete. And it's all about whether somebody is in their human nature and telling you that they're in the power of Jesus or not. The whole book of 1 John tells you how to discern whether somebody is in Adam, in their own human nature, trying to have good fellowship with you, or they're in the Spirit of God, which makes for good fellowship. I hope that's coming across clear because I don't hear that throughout the week when I'm listening to... It's not resonating. The the, the sermons don't resonate with me. They don't have life. They're they're not speaking about the life and depending on the life. There's a reason I use that word resonate. It's from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.14. And you know it. He says, For the love of Christ constrains me, because I'm convinced that if one died for all, then all died. So, see how the word, the love of Christ constrains me? Yes, sir. It's the word suneco. Suneco. Su- it's Two words, compound word. Soon like is we're together. Doing a redneck Greek. This is a redneck Greek word study, and it's a huge one. Okay, okay. So it comes from two words. Soon in the Greek is together, and echo in the Greek is to hold like a, a sound. We we use the word echo in English. We got it from the Greek, and to echo is to resonate to to hear it over and over. So Paul says, the the love of Christ constrains me. It synechoes. It resonates within me. Another definition for synecho is to have me hemmed in and on all sides, surrounding me, 
leaving me no other option option but to to what's going on all around me. Mm-hmm. It is the love of Christ that constrains me. Controls me. Controls me. Another word for it was remember when Jesus we talked about it last week that the day of vengeance and how Jerusalem was laid siege by the Roman same word it's Seneco they had Jerusalem surrounded on all sides and there was no escaping it that's what Paul's saying when I hear the love of Christ it constrains me it's got me hemmed in on all sides I can't think any other way outside of the love of Christ Mm -hmm. because he was convinced of something that if one died for all then all die and that those who live should no longer live for themselves that doesn't really mean like a selfish living it means in their own ability ability, that they should live as the vessels or instruments of Jesus. They should live for Jesus as an instrument for Jesus to use. A vessel that's literally ekosune controlled by the love of God. By the love of Christ. Yes. That's when you shine. But you you know how I was telling you we had missionary week at church. You're a witness. I'm always bragging about our different Ministries, outreach ministries. We we got a homeless ministry, and uh, streets yep. of the lost and found. Yeah, you're you're yep. quick to boast about that. To, to because go, these go guys on, do it, and yeah, the, they do amazing things. And they yeah. they if you talk to any of them, they'll say, "Not I, but Christ." Yes, they, they realize that they're doing everything they're doing empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. We have an orphanage. We have a whole ministry to Africa. Uh, Bishop Alex Abiola just does amazing things there. And th- these are all people that understand that th- these are all Seneco people. They're hemmed in on all sides by the love of, of Christ. Everything they do is because of the love of, of Christ constraining them, having them hemmed in on all sides. Controlling. These are people, as far as I know, I never hear them talking about I just get up and grit my teeth and I go do this. These people do amazing things for years at a time. They labor harder than all the rest, yet it's not them laboring, it's the grace in them laboring. If you ask them, how do you labor so hard, they would tell you that. It's not I, it's Christ in me. And so that resonates. Then Sunday morning, for some reason, and I'll be as nice as I can, we heard a message from a guest speaker, and it wasn't resonating with me. And it wasn't because he was saying to do bad things or not do good things. But he was motivating with you need to do this if not use you know don't wait for someone else to do it you need to get up and get going and it doesn't resonate with me and I'm not a hurry wrong so I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt and nothing he said was wrong to do it was we weren't getting the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't resonating with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean that to be critical. I just mean it. I'm just saying when I don't feel that resonation of Christ in me, I know from the past I got a lot of wounds of trying to do things in my old endemic nature. Your countenance With the falls. best of intentions. Your countenance you, you yeah. feel burdened all of a sudden. It, it's like a gloom sets in. Um, I feel actually doomed. Yeah. I know I'm. I know if it's me gritting my teeth and saying I'll do it, I know I'll fail. Yeah, yeah. 
And then all of a sudden you remember, no, no, uh, this is a new covenant. This is a new covenant where he put his spirit in me. That's what he said in Ezekiel. I'll make a new covenant with you and I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. I will be the power source for this new covenant Christian life. It's a new covenant. It's a brand new covenant and it's not lived by the old man of us. It is lived by what Jesus said in that upper room discourse and that I won't leave you as orphans. I'm returning to you. And in that day, you will know something. What was it again we should know? That I am in you. And the Father's in me, and the Father's in you, and, and the what Holy did, Spirit. What did the Father say about the Son? This is my beloved Son. Same thing Paul said, the love of Christ. In whom the love I'm of the well pleased. I'm always well pleased. Yes. That's God saying he's always well pleased. But what I hear throughout the week in all the sermons that I listen to, because I'm able to listen to quite a few sermons, I hear he's not so pleased with me. And maybe I need a checkup from the neck up. <laughs> I need to soul search myself and find a bunch of bad things about myself and then grip my teeth and pull myself up by the bootstraps and start behaving. Come get on, busy. Get, get obedient. Just be obedient. Go do what you know to do. You know what to do. You know how to do the Christian life. Go do that. And then you ask yourself, I do know it, but why don't I do it? Well, there's an answer in Romans 7 that tells us point blank why we don't do what we want to do, which is live a exemplary Christian life and love our spouses in a way that they feel loved and honored and, and they're well pleased with us. That's all we want to do. But Romans 7 tells us exactly why. And this was the mystery that was hidden for ages past. All through the Old Testament, even when Joshua was saying, you can't serve the Lord. He's too holy. You will be witnesses against yourself. And you read from Joshua all the way to Matthew about the futility that Israel went through trying to please the Lord and couldn't do it. It's all because of this mystery that's revealed in Romans 7. And I believe in the modern day church, it's just not very well believed. So read it with us and tell us if you feel that what you hear on TV is explaining to you why you don't behave the way you want. Let's go to Romans 7 and you tell me if it doesn't explain to you why you behave and why you don't want to put confidence in your human nature and you want to put all your confidence in the spirit that lives in you. Tell me if this doesn't explain it all really well, because what I see being spread out over the, the TV airwaves is, is that you have a free will and um, you, you better use it to do good. That you have a free will and you use it to do good. Let's just see if Romans 7 matches up with that idea because that seems to be the rolling theme in the Christian pale of orthodoxy. I think you're going to find out that people are making awesome choices. Yeah. And 
choosing to do the right thing, just like Joshua said. They they did make the right choice. We always do. We've been choosing to since since we were little kids and they first told us about Jesus and that Jesus is is a good guy, not a bad guy, and we've always said, I want to be a good guy. We from the beginning we made all the right choices, but we failed to carry them out. All the good deeds that we said, I'll do that. And then it, it didn't happen. We, we came short of doing that, of being a doer. You, you hear so much talk about being a doer between Monday and Friday on the TV. Feel so burdened. They tell you what a doer does. All those things that they tell you to do is exactly what Paul talks about in Romans 7, about people that tell you a bunch of do's and don'ts to be a doer of the word. Let's look at it. When we say not doing the right thing, we're talking about born-again Christians, people that go to church, people that desire to do the good things, people that don't want to sin, but they really want to make a difference in this world for God. They want to do good things. They want to see all their neighbors get the gospel. It, it is. That's, that's what we're that's talking about. That's the kind about. of people we're talking about. That's people exact, making good choices. That's exactly what Romans 7 is talking about. People who make good choices, namely Paul. So let, let's look at Paul in Romans 7 and see exactly what he's saying. Let's bring out the meaning of what Paul is saying because it's life-changing. To me, it was for me. Just understanding these few paragraphs changed my life and it literally took the burden off my life. But Paul says in Romans 7, he says, the law said you shall not covet, but sin taking the opportunity through the law produced in me coveting of every kind. Wait. For apart from law, sin is dormant. What? Let's what? chew on that. But he, he, he said, no, he said, let me correct you, Steve in my old man mentality. I would not have known what coveting was, except the law had said you shall not covet. Yes. End of story. Yeah. You know what not to do. You know what not to do. Then what's the problem? It produced in me coveting of every kind. The law made me start coveting. I knew what I shouldn't do, and I began to do it. It wrestled in my mind and caused me to start doing what I just read I wasn't supposed to do. Well, you weren't committed, obviously, to not coveting. Yeah, see, none of Paul is actually going to explain because it wasn't that I wasn't committed. We, we've always been committed, and so was Israel. They always were committed, but they fell short, and Paul is going to tell us why. Well, I know what went wrong. You didn't have someone to remind you not to covet. Yeah, none of those things worked. We're going to see exactly what does work. Were you committed to not coveting? I just said we were committed, but it didn't work. It said sin produced coveting of every kind. For apart from the Ten Commandment mentality, apart from knowing not to covet and then trying not to covet, apart from that, sin is dormant. If you just live your life and say, I want to be a vessel to you for you to use, sin becomes dormant. If you're just being a vessel for Christ to use, not trying in your human nature to pull it off. And then he goes on to say, 
I was once alive apart from law, but when the commandment mentality came back in, when I started thinking of another do or don't, or I just got reminded through the TV that I should be a better something, when that came back in, sin sprang to life. What? Sin sprang to life? That's a secret mystery that was never revealed for the 5,000 years before Christ died. It was never revealed that the sin springs to life under the Ten Commandment mentality. Can you get a hold of that? Are you hearing preachers tell you that don't get yourself under that Ten Commandment mentality where you try real hard to please somebody and let yourself be a vessel for Christ because then sin is dormant. If you're trying, sin springs to life, a mystery that was never revealed till Romans 7, and it changed my life. It is. It's hard to believe what you're hearing, but he says, I was alive apart from the law. I felt good about myself apart from the law. But when the commandment re-entered my thinking as a means to live the Christian life, when I used the commandment as a means to live, live the Christian life. Standard. A standard? Yes. It says that sin sprang to life? Yes. It actually activated the sin nature in me? Yes. Yes. And it is the sin. It's a sin nature. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That's the sin we're talking about. It's a noun. It can be like, it's a noun. noun. It's a noun, not a a verb. It's a noun. It's a living entity. You'll you'll begin to see. Well, you, you heard it say it springs to life. But then it goes on to say, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came in, sin sprang to life and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, Prove to result in death for me. See, this commandment that tells me not to covet, that tells me all the things that I should and shouldn't do to live a righteous Christian life, he said that was supposed to produce life because I was supposed to be able to do it. But it brought death to me. That feeling of being condemned and not measuring up That is what happened when the commandment mentality came in. When you heard it over the TV or over the radio and you got that queer feeling about, gosh, I don't do that commandment very well. And you start condemning yourself. You're putting yourself to death is what it's talking about. But it comes in when you begin to pick up on that idea that The sin sprang to life. The sin sprang to life. The idea that I can be like God without God, but with my own human will and determination, I can be like God. Just give me that knowledge of good and evil. Give me that law that says you shall not covet, and I'll be like God because I won't covet. Or smoke or whatever whatever it is is that gets you. But it says, apart from law, sin is dormant. Dormant. It doesn't activate unless you put yourself under that mentality. This is a secret that had been hidden until this moment when you read this chapter. So do you see there, it says, apart from law, sin is dormant. But then it says, but sin, the sin... How does it get out of dormancy and back into action? It says the sin seizing the opportunity given by the what, Steve? Through the commandment deceived me and killed me again. Through the commandment, through that 
when you hear the do's and don'ts and you should do more, you should do more, you should do more, you should do this right, you should do this better, come on, let's try harder, just commit to doing this. Make a commitment right now. When you hear all that jargon, sin deceives you. And through all that jargon, sin destroys you. Isn't that the same deception as the Garden of Eden? Exact same thing over and over again. You, you can be like God. Yes. You just need the no good coveting, from evil. To know the knowledge of good and evil. Yes. And live by it. But we couldn't because sin sprang to life. Matter of fact, right after the Garden of Eden, after they get thrown out of the Garden of Eden, they have two kids, Cain and Abel, and one of them God talks to and says, sin is crouching right next to you and desires to have control of you, but you must master it. And then Cain killed Abel. He didn't master the sin, and the sin has been controlling people all the way up to Romans chapter 7, where they, it gets exposed. Because sin has been controlling you and making you do what you don't want to do. You're in bondage to that sin under the, I can do it, I'm committed, Ten Commandment mentality, you're in bondage to sin. We'll see if that proves me wrong, if the next few words prove me wrong. After it said, sin took the opportunity through the commandment and killed me, it said, so So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was what? Sin. Sin caused the death for me. But it used the Ten Commandment mentality. And it was a secret all through the Old Testament, nobody knew that sin was controlling everybody in the Old Testament and making them do what they don't want to do and causing them not to do what they want to do. Sin was controlling them and nobody knew it until now sin is exposed. Apart from law, sin is dead. And you can cause sin to not control you. You just have to put down the Ten Commandment mentality. Get off the human performance treadmill. Okay, so it said the, the law was holy and good and it exposed sin in order that sin might be shown to be really, really strong by affecting my death through that which was good, through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. You see, through that commandment, it proved that sin is very much alive and very, very dominant to human beings. It dominates human beings completely complete bondage. That's what he says next. He says, because the law is spiritual, but I am human and I'm sold into bondage to sin. I'm in bondage to sin as a human being. So that's the problem. There's an incompatibility between us and keeping the law. The commandment is holy and righteous, but I don't have the ability to live holy and righteous. I need something. I need the Holy Spirit to live holy and righteous. I need the Holy Spirit not to covet. I need the Holy Spirit to go out and do ministry work of whatever kind I need. You need the Holy Spirit to help you do what you want to do and not do what you don't want to do. You need that Holy Spirit to do what you want to do. Apparently, 
if apart from him I can do nothing, then I need the Holy Spirit to do whatever ministry, big or small, whether just being nice and friendly to a neighbor or whether it's to take on a great missionary journey throughout Europe. You know, I still am dependent on the Holy Spirit because apart from him, I can do nothing. Jesus' own words. And I don't hear that being preached. I don't hear people saying, hey, if you're under the law, sin's going to run rampant in your life, so don't let yourself get under the law. They're telling you, get under the law and try harder. I tell you what, there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, and I don't, I'm sure I've never heard a message on 1 Corinthians 56. Yeah. You want me to quote it for you? You quote it. I've heard it. (laughs) It says, death where is, well, right after that, it says, the power of sin is in the law. Sin's power comes from the law. Sin being resuscitated comes by the introduction of a command. First Corinthians fifteen fifty six. The power of sin is the law. If you don't put yourself under that Ten Commandment mentality, sin has no power over you. This is the secret that had been hidden for ages past. You have to rest from human performance. Isn't that what Jesus said? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You have to rest from trying so hard to please everybody around you by being obedient to the commandments because sin's power is in those commandments and sin lives in you. Look at what Paul says next. He says, I am human and I'm sold into bondage to sin for that which I am doing, I do not understand. I am not practicing what I would like to do, what I will to do. What I choose to to do is literally will to do. I am not doing what I will to do, but I'm doing the very evil that I hate. The very thing that I hate is what I'm doing, and I don't understand why. Well, the, the answer to that why question is right here in Romans 7 that in your human nature sin dwells and it overpowers your will. You will to do this and you will to do that. You make all the right choices, but you do what you don't want to do and you don't do what you do want to do. You put your shoe in your mouth, humanly speaking. It doesn't sound like his will is so free there. He's totally sold into bondage. And when I hear Monday through Friday that you have a free will and you should just choose to dominate over sin, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Humanly speaking, that doesn't happen. That's not what that verse is saying, but I hear it on TV all the time that you have a free will, so just resist the devil with your free will. This passage is saying, hey, there's a secret. You don't have a free will. You're in bondage to this living entity that lives inside you. Tell me if it doesn't say it lives inside of me or not. Well, before you say that, I don't want to disagree with you, Steve, but I think you do have a a free will it's something you will to do and you're making a choice but if you have no ability to carry it out and you're a slave to the sin it, it doesn't matter really if you made the right choice or not it matters that you don't have the ability to do to not sin you don't have the ability in your human effort in your human will not to sin. If you don't have the ability in what you will to do to carry it out, it's really not free. It's, you're, you're not in control. 
you're not in control. There's something controlling you, causing you to fail at what you will to do, what you choose to do. A good choice, but no ability issue. to do it. Yeah. Is prisoner, slave. The, the result is the only thing that counts. You know, they, they say it's the thought that counts. The, the Bible doesn't agree with that. It's the result that counts. And the thought is that you want to do it, but sin is in control. Look, look at what it says next. But if I do the very thing that I do not will to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. See, I want to do it. I want to do the law. It's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do. So now, no longer am I the one who's doing it, the very evil I hate, but sin that lives in me. What? The sin that lives in me is doing all those bad things through me. It is controlling me and causing me to snap at somebody at work. When when I knew I shouldn't have, I didn't want to snap them, but oh, that's I snapped a, them. That's a cop-out, Steve. That that's a that, that's an excuse. That's that's it doesn't say that, does it? Can you imagine people Monday through Friday just say that's a cop-out, that's an excuse, and ignore what Romans seven is saying? Can you read it again so we can yes. see it's this is what the Bible tells you. If I do what I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now no longer am I doing what I hate, but sin that lives in me is doing what I hate. For, listen to this, verse 18, out of the Bible. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my human nature for the wishing is present in me the choosing the willing is present in me but the doing of good is not i know that nothing good dwells in my human nature whatever my human nature does it doesn't amount to something that God thinks is good. Nothing, not nothing, nothing my human nature ever produced or did. Even what I'm so proud of, even my righteousness is as a filthy rag to God. I was never a doer of the word. I couldn't do it. That's what he says right there. I know that nothing good dwells in my human nature. So why depend on your human nature? Why allow the microphone or the TV to cause you to begin to depend on yourself to do whatever the TV is telling you to do? And they're probably telling you good things because that's he wanted to do good things. He wanted to stop coveting. But if you don't have, if there's nothing good in you to do the good thing, but you do have the spirit, which always does good things, wouldn't that be our answer? It's exactly what this, this chapter is going to tell us. So depending on the spirit to do for you, what you can't do for yourself. Where have I heard that before? Yeah, it, right here in, in th <laughs> this passage. That, that's where you've heard that for. And every week on the Cardinals of Grace yeah, podcast. Yes, yes. Okay, so look at what it says in verse 19. For the good that I will to do, I do not practice, but the very evil I do not will to do but if i am doing the very thing i do not will to do i am no longer the one doing it but the sin that lives in me he repeats the same thought again he says 
I'm willing to do it, always have been. Israel always made the right choice, but their will wasn't free because they could not accomplish what they willed to do. That's exactly what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil taught Adam. The serpent said, you'll be like God knowing good from evil. And as soon as they took it, they knew they couldn't do the good they wanted to, and they felt naked and ashamed. And we got two more Greek words, and we'll probably have to get them into next week. And you just, you read them in English. Yeah. But they were prazo and poeo. And it was the good I want to prazo, practice. I don't poeo a single time. I, I don't, don't do it a single time. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up there when, on the next podcast. but, but now, Because that's another idea that is in here in yeah you're a christian if you don't habitually practice mm-hmm. sin mm-hmm. but that's not if what you this slip, passage says it, it says, is you <laughs> it says you don't do it a single time never have done it one time but we'll get into that next week for now can you maybe close us in, in prayer i can thank you father god let this word resonate in us that apart from you, we can do nothing. Teach us that you, we can abide in you and you can abide in us and you will abide in us and we will bear much fruit. Let this be a lesson to be totally, completely dependent upon your spirit for every part of our Christian life, whether it's being kind to a neighbor, your spouse, going on a mission, going around the world in a worldwide ministry, from the least little thing to the biggest giant thing, we all need to depend on your spirit. And that's why you gave us your spirit. And that's why you said in that day you will know that my spirit is in you. And it's not there. We need to get that, Father God. We need to get that we have your spirit in us to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. In Jesus' name, bring that message to clarity in all of us. Resonate it in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, and allow us to preach this message over and over and over again. Good night, you guys. We love you. We love you guys. Good night.